0: I just had to dig into what is the core of what makes you go. It's not views, it's not likes. You were started by something. And so if you can tap into whatever that something is, the medium might change, the platform might change, the whatever, but the internal reason for doing what you're doing never changes. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, episode seven of Living Large. You guys can catch it on CastBox
1: every morning on Wednesdays at 6 a.m. PST, followed up by a noon post time on my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash markdonor. Today's guest, the Ohio native, just like myself, Christopher Drama Paff. PFAF
0: there you go if you, you want to call it. it first try
1: Coventry Ohio right by Akron yeah I'm
0: from Hudson that's crazy man
1: we grew up pretty much you know 20 minutes apart and now we're Same living area. 20 minutes apart again it's
0: very true living the dream
1: long uh long down the road yeah. uh jump into it Bef- before we get into the business the entrepreneurial stuff talk yeah. about uh let's talk about that that journey from what made you want to come from Ohio out to Los Angeles
0: for me it was really rooted in skateboarding, right? Like I was obsessed with skateboarding. That's all I did like all day, every day. And Los Angeles is the skateboard capital of the world. Okay, And so I knew I wasn't good enough to be a pro skateboarder, like probably around like age 16, but I was like, I just want to work at a skate shop or be a filmer or like do anything, just skateboarding. And then on top of that, it was just that, as you know, there's just not much opportunity in Ohio. Right. Right. And I just was ambitious and I wanted to do something. And so I think from age like 14 on, I was like, the moment I graduate high school, I'm moving to LA. That was just always the plan. So that was it. As soon as I graduated, I, I moved out. Was it a tough decision? Did you know anybody out here? So my cousin who I ended up going and doing Rob, who I ended up going and doing all of our TV shows with lived out here, but he lived out here since I was like three years old. So I didn't know him very well. I was hoping we could connect. Once I got out here, I was hoping maybe I could work with him or do something, but no, I, other than that, I didn't know anyone, but I just didn't care. Like, now looking back on it, it was kind of crazy, but at the time I didn't care because I wanted to just skateboard and live in LA so bad that I was like, whatever, I'll meet other skaters, I'll meet whatever, like right. it'll be fine. So I wouldn't do it now, I don't think, like in another city, but at that time I felt like I just belonged in LA so much that I wasn't thinking about anything else.
1: And what made you, because I know me growing up in Ohio, LA was such a foreign thing. It's like, oh, like, we have this perception of Los Angeles, what it is as Ohio people. Like, yeah, I feel like me being an Ohio native, we're very judgmental of other cities. We're very homegrown. Like we love Ohio. Yeah. Um, was your family supportive in that move?
0: They were because they knew how bad I wanted it. You know, like I think selfishly, my parents were like super great, still together to this day, like super loving. And I think that they were probably bummed that they were like, you know, losing a kid across the country. Um, And I also skipped college, you know, which they weren't in love with. Uh, But I think I just kind of gave them no option. It was like, I'm going there, I'm going to figure it out. And I think they knew if I didn't, I'd come back home and if I did then good for me I mean they kind of had that attitude right have you been back to visit to visit yeah, <laughs> yeah a couple very times a year. few and far between <laughs> yeah. it's funny because now you know I, it, this happened I would say like about the first two years, every time I would go back, it still felt like home, right? you know, and then LA felt weird still. And then after about three years, LA just felt truly like home and that felt weird. And then it started feeling like, how did I ever live here? Like, I'm sure yeah. you have those moments, oh, of course. but I go back for like Christmas and I'm like, what did I used to do for fun? Like, there's no way right. I even like could exist here. But so I do go back, but I wish probably like About two times a year. I I should go back more, but...
1: Yeah, I agree, but we get busy. I'm working on it. So you move out here. How old? 16, 18? 18. 18, 18. Yep. Uh, First job.
0: First job was uh, I ended up becoming my cousin's assistant.
1: Right, okay. So then you start Fantasy Factory.
0: Yeah. So the way that that timeline went down was I moved out here. So I came out here in November and then I was going home for, for Christmas in December. And right before I went home, so I had met up with my cousin. We had started to kind of hang out, whatever. But she was before, is this before the fantasy factor Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, so first was Robin Big.
1: So Robin Big, okay. But this was probably. Because I didn't have cable
0: growing up. So I didn't I either. Ne- I was never able to watch this. I didn't either, man. <laughs> Ohio with no cable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, Robin Big was first. And Robin Big was about a year and a half after this. Okay. So I came out. Um, on the last day before I was supposed to go home for Christmas, uh, my cousin's assistant quit. He said, I can't do it anymore. My girlfriend won't let me, whatever. Um, so uh, I'm out. And so he came to me and was like, yo, do you want to be my assistant? And I was like, what? Like, I don't know what an assistant does. Right. I don't know how to get around L.A. Like, I didn't know what a personal assistant is. We don't know that in Ohio. No, it doesn't exist. And, <laughs> and, and, and all of his friends came to me and were like, yo, he's really serious and harsh when he's working like don't work with him because it's going to ruin your friendship your family yeah yeah and so I was like man I mean worst case scenario if that happens I'll just quit and go work at the skate shop like I had planned Um, I might as well give this a shot and at least be around like you know he was still dealing with his skate sponsors and he was a pro skateboarder and so I said yeah sure I'll give it a shot so then I went home for Christmas and when I came back. I started as his assistant.
1: And what did that entail? What were you doing? Just the basic assistant stuff? Was or was rough. it more, it was rough. It, it wasn't was, like a relaxed, like, hey, like you're my cousin, do whatever you want.
0: No, and I joke with him about it now because for some reason he was so hard on me, you know, and I, and he he blames it on like being his cousin and wanting me to like do well and learn right. well. And it was like tough love, but it didn't really make sense at the time, but it was like, I mean, it was come over every morning and, you know, make the coffee. And then I would have like a list of like literally scrub the floors in the whole house and do laundry and you know go take work yeah like take the dogs for a bath and go do blah 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 and it was a lot of that and then you know it progressed a little bit into like driving down to his like meetings at monster energy and helping out with that but it was never too like executive assistant work it was all pretty like real nitty-gritty you know Um, in the
1: field yeah yeah the grunt work yep um so, you, so you're out there, you're doing the assistant thing, then Fantasy Factory happens. Robin Big. Oh, Rob. then Robin Big happens. Yeah, okay, yeah. so this is prior to Robin Big.
0: Yeah, so it was assistant for about a year, then assistant slash Robin Big. So, so
1: why does Rob have an assistant before he's doing any TV work? Because he was always like a pretty
0: business savvy pro skateboarder. Right. You know, and at this age, I'm guessing he, uh, he had to be like, oh shit, he had to be like 20, sorry, 31 32 and so he was doing like big deals with DC shoes and monster energy and he was still pretty active you know and he just had had an assistant for years before that and still had one to that day and even though it was nothing like what it turned into after TV he still was working enough that he needed an assistant
1: okay so when you moved out here did you ever think that you were going to be on television
0: zero chance
1: you want to do this skate thing you were with Rob
0: then this TV show happens yeah How did you get involved with that? So, the way that went from my perspective was like, um, shortly after I got out here, they started. Rob had done some skits with Big Black for a DC Shoes skate video. And they were really funny. And they took off. It'd be like doing a skit on Instagram now, right? right? And so, our Was
1: this pre YouTube? What year is this?
0: This is probably, gosh, I mean, it's 11 years ago. So, right or. Yeah, I think YouTube was around 10, yeah, 2007 ish. Okay. Yeah. So. So um, they had done the skit for the skate video and a mutual friend came to him and said, hey, man, this is hilarious. Like, you guys really have something here. You should try to do something. Try to do an MTV show. Try to do a blah, blah, blah. And so when shortly after I moved, the first way that like what that manifested into was they just brought cameras over before camera phones. They just brought cameras over and set them around the house. And they're like, anytime you guys are doing anything crazy, just film it. And just, you know, so we can start to put together like a tape here. And... So we just do stupid stuff and film each other. And it was really not worth anything. It was like first scenario vlogging. It was 100%. (laughs) And I wish I would have known then I would have just kept vlogging. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it was like beginning vlogging and but nothing really came of it. Then they added more people, more people. And they just kept like kind of giving ideas and building what could be this TV show. And they ended up filming a pilot, um, but the pilot wasn't right. It didn't work. It essentially almost got turned down by MTV, but instead of just completely canceling it, MTV was like, well, why don't you try to rework it and see if there's anything else? So it went through like probably like a nine month process and about seven different pilots and different names and Rob Dyrdek's rules to success and Rob Dyrdek's blah, blah, blah. And finally it landed on Rob and Big, which was kind of the most pure form of it, which was just these guys doing ridiculous stuff and kind of their life. Mm -hmm. So at first they came to me and they said, Hey man, we know you're Rob's cousin. We know you're the assistant. You're going to be in the house every day, but you're not like, this isn't about you just kind of stay out of the picture. Cause of course, when that happens, like imagine if you get a reality show tomorrow, All your friends are going to want to come in and be characters and be around and be funny. And so everyone started doing that. So they came to me and were like, yo, just stay out of the shot, whatever. And then naturally, I think just from like being this 19-year-old dude from Ohio, like sweeping the floors, I just would get pulled into this little scene or that little scene. Or, you know, Rob would like throw a coffee across the room and then say, drama, come pick that up, you know, like for comedy value. And I would come mop it up. And they're like, oh my God, his little cousin is a blah, blah, blah. And this is so cool. And it just kind of naturally i just naturally found my role in like the dynamic being that character mm-hmm. you know and so then it you know it ended up going and we shot uh, a whole season and it aired and i remember them coming to us and saying hey you know your life's about to change this is gonna you know really uh people are gonna recognize you walking down the street and stuff like that and we were like come on man no way you know and and um it launched and it was just a massive, massive hit. And that was in like the prime of MTV, the mm-hmm. prime of reality TV before uh, vlogging and Instagramming and all that stuff. And like, it just instantly exploded into this like phenomenon, you know?
1: It's so crazy because it's like, it. honestly, it is vlogging before vlogging existed. It's yeah. like your friends become not necessarily just your friends, but they become characters. Yeah. And it's so crazy to like, to hear you say this, because I've, I've honestly never seen Robin big cause I, like I said I never had cable growing up yeah. so I was always outside I was never watching TV yep. my parents were anti cable anti phones and it's, it's honestly weird being in this industry yeah. since I grew up on that but like from a lot of the things you're saying it's like that kind of stuff hits with me because in my group of friends that's what we did essentially yeah it's just like, it feels like there's like a formula. Yeah. You know
0: what I'm saying? And I think it's the exact same. I think that vlogging is simply the like evolution of exactly what we were doing. Right. Right, And and that's kind of what you're getting at. But like reality TV, not counting like real housewives and all that weird stuff, but like those days of like jackass and Robin big and all that stuff were, was exactly vlogging and exactly the same way. Like a lot of the older, like celebrities, uh, Looked at it as a joke and thought it would never work, you know, and then reality stars started becoming huge. Right. And then vloggers, when that all started, everyone was like, oh, this is stupid. And now vloggers are the biggest thing in the world. Right. What do you think about that transition? Because you've seen it all. You've been on the reality TV. Now you
1: see the shift over to like social media, YouTube, Instagram, all that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's like hard to stay on top of. You know, but I think that it's great. And I think the same way that people look down on us when we were exploding from reality TV, people, like I said, are looking down on social media and bloggers and that stuff. And I just don't see how you can, you know, it's just things evolve. This is where it's evolved too, And at least it's evolved in a way where everyone has a shot and everyone it's in your own hands. And if you make it as a vlogger, like you did something really special because you battled through the millions of other people pointing cameras at stuff Mm -hmm. and really built an audience and built a connection with millions of people. And I think that's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I think right now it's still, yeah, we, we're still looked down upon like the social media stars,
0: but yeah. I think eventually it'll take the shift and it's already shifting. You it already is, have yeah. Will Smith vlogging. Yeah, yeah. That's a win. Yeah. That's absolutely. such a win for the vloggers. Yeah. You know what I
1: mean? You got Joe Rogan doing
0: podcasts and yeah. stuff. I mean, I would consider podcasts in a way, social media. Yeah, I, I would mean, too. It's yeah. new media, new media. Right. But I think like it's already, you're already on the tail end of vlogging being sort of misunderstood or, or looked down upon. It's already time for the next weird thing to pop up, right? right? right. It's already time for you guys to look down on something and be like, what the hell are you, you know what I mean? Like, I know you thought we were silly, but this is too far. And then that's the biggest thing. Yep. Yeah. I think
1: that's well the musically thing. That was when I looked, it's like an app where you just lip sing. Yeah. That didn't work, right? No, it did. People got extremely famous off of lip singing to other people's music. And
0: that's something that we looked at. We're like, why, why? Like you're just sitting there. Lip singing yeah. and people love it but when I say didn't work I mean did it kind of die like how vine did and some people progressed and some yeah people I think faded everybody away? shifted
1: over to other platforms it, and they it. just
0: you know, honestly they re but the point the is I think you'll be able to make a like a career off of vlogging for quite a while whereas being a music a professional music leader is like dead already right you know
1: um okay so something that shifted in your career so you had this opportunity you were on these reality TV shows yeah um. Then you started, what made you get into the entrepreneurial side? Because you started Young
0: and Reckless. Yep. So for me, it was a combination of a bunch of things. It was, I didn't come out here by any means to be like a TV guy or a celebrity. And I actually am like a relatively antisocial dude. And so I didn't like the like celebrity aspect of the whole thing. And there was no plan for me to like scale my celebrity and try to just make more money off of that. Right. right. I wanted to become a, you know, an entrepreneur or, or have some sort of business or do something like that. That's just where my head always was. And so I saw getting in on this reality stuff as a way to transition myself and get a kickstart into whatever I wanted to do. I just wasn't sure on what I wanted to do yet. So the first thing I tried was music. That kind of worked. I tried a couple other businesses and then I landed on Young and Reckless. And I also landed on Young and Reckless because I went around trying to get people to pay me to wear their clothes. Mm-hmm. And on the show? Yeah, and okay. I wasn't big enough, you know, okay. uh, especially on Robin Big. I just wasn't a big enough part of that show for anyone to give me any money. And so when Fantasy Factory came around and Big Black had moved to Texas, so it was just me and Rob on the first couple of seasons, I was like, man, this is my shot. You know, I watched Big Black do it. He made a lot of money. I watched, um, you know, Rob help start brands like Rogue Status and DC and all that stuff. And I was like, this is my shot if I'm ever going to do it. And so I just put the pedal to the metal on trademarks and all that stuff. And I used Fantasy Factory as my launching pad to be able to do, you know, what I did, which is have fun with it while we had it and then move on to building a real business and having a real life here in L.A. That's all I really wanted, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Facebook. You know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks also in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept.
0: One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually
2: been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done
0: on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good.
2: Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts,
0: Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. How did you come up with the name Young and Reckless? It really came, if I'm being honest, it came from when I was in high school. One of the biggest brands at the time was Famous Stars and Straps. And that was Travis Barker's company. Mm -hmm. And it had that famous like F with the star in it. And kids would walk around my school, like the nerdy kids would walk around the school with a famous shirt on. And they really thought they were like, famous because their shirt said famous mm-hmm. and like back on in my space uh, on MySpace in those days people used to write you know don't hate me because I'm famous and famous with the famous f and so when it came time for me to start a brand I was like I want to create something that has a feeling like that like I just don't want to call it you know uh, microphone clothing yeah. and tell everyone why they should buy into it like I want this to mean something I want it to stand for something and I always looked at myself as like this sort of you know guy that came from Ohio with no education figured it out and like made a life for myself. And to me, that was young and reckless. And I wanted to highlight other people that were doing that and learn their stories and tell their stories. And that's kind of where it came from.
1: Okay. And it sounds like obviously there's always strategy behind things. Like when
0: you first started the brand, what were some of your obstacles that you had to face? So there was, um, you know, I've had a million and, and I think the biggest, the first biggest one was number one, being taken serious whatsoever, because I understand. How old were you when you started? 22. So you're a young kid. Who's going to buy your clothes? Exactly. And I think the biggest thing, which I understand and I understood then was the immediate reaction was this guy, this kind of butt of the joke guy from MTV reality shows is trying to sell us a clothing line. This is a scam, right? Mm -hmm. And this was before merch was so big and all that stuff. And it was just seemed like merch and it seemed like a gimmick and it seemed like i was just trying to get fast money and mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so i think a lot of people didn't take it serious including the retailers that we met with and and all that stuff um so we had to fight against that a lot and then second was you know when we first launched we first launched with pacific sunwear the store and we first launched with an episode on the show that kind of coincided with the launch and it and it sold really well for like a few months and we were like oh my god this worked like this is so awesome we're 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 huge we have the next biggest thing and then the moment the show went off the air it just tanked and it was like in the back of the stores on the floor nobody else would carry it nobody would pick it up and I was like oh my god like it is just crappy merch and nobody's taking it serious and, and we're screwed and so at that point we just went and did as much marketing as we could outside of me You know, Mm -hmm. we went and did, we worked with a lot of the young influencers, we worked with uh, athletes and rappers, and we did a big deal with Meek Mill right before he dropped his first album, and we did all these projects to make sure that it was looked at as the new hot brand, not drama from fantasy Factory's little project. Merch. Okay. Yeah. So those were the first like two big ones, you know, and then there's been obviously a handful. Kind how of. How did different.
1: you, how did you get into starting it? Where did that financial backing come from? Was that your own put up money or did you have investors? Did you say, Hey, I
0: need help here. Yep. So I'll tell you how we did it. We finessed the system. We, uh, I went to one of the guys who turned me down for a brand ambassadorship on Robin big. And I said, Hey man, um, I really want to launch this brand. I have the idea for the name. I have blah, blah, blah. We have this new show coming out called Fantasy Factory. Um, Let's partner up and do this, right? So he helped me with a lot of the initial, and he still is my partner today, but manufacturing and getting everything set up and whatever. Then we printed just enough shirts to be samples for me to wear on the new season of the show. So I'm wearing it all over the show. I take the Designs and I tape them all over the wall. I make it look like my little mini office. I just overdo it, you know? Right, right. And so then I had a really good relationship with all the editors of the show. So as soon as the show was done being edited, which is about three or four months before it airs, I I went and got a DVD of the first episode that it was featured in. We drove it down to Sun and I said, hey, guys, this is about to be the biggest thing in the world. It's about to be on this hit show. You know it's going to be a hit. You saw what happened with Robin Big and I, if you guys take this for all of your doors, uh, I'll give it to you exclusively for six months and every bit of my social media will push to PacSun and I'll tell everyone to go to PacSun, I'll do autograph signings, I'll do whatever it takes and they agreed and they did it and so I pushed everyone to PacSun and the trick was this. We never had to spend any money. We were never in debt because the first order was placed before any product even existed. And we essentially printed on demand what they ordered and shipped it to them. So we were instantly profitable. So along the ride, we've had a lot of really kind of ups and downs and rough times and times that were close to, you know, really taking some losses. But I didn't need to go raise money based on an idea because there was never any startup costs. What made you go like brick and mortar rather than e-commerce? It was before e-commerce. Okay. So e-commerce existed, but nobody trusted it and it wasn't looked at nearly like what it was today. So the way that you had to do that then was you had to go to retailers. You'd have to promise exclusivity, all these different things. And a lot of retailers like PacSun and Tilly's don't get along. And if you Uh sell to one, the other one won't take you. And if you blah, 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 it's just like all these politics. And so you have to kind of go play that politic game, fly around, meet with buyers uh, explain to them that this is the coolest clothing line in the world and slowly build it through shelf space in retailers.
1: Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Cause when I got into merch, I didn't realize how much went into it. You have designs, you have manufacturing, you have sales, fulfillment, yeah. customer service. There's a lot of things that go into this business. How were you able to maintain having this young and reckless business yep. while being on the show while being Rob's assistant? So at
0: that time, so here, uh, the timeline was after Robin big, I quit as Rob's assistant. Got it. And I got lucky that fantasy factory ended up coming because i'm sure i would have figured it out but i didn't have a sound plan Uh like i was gonna go be a music producer Mm -hmm. right which wasn't necessarily like ready to go Mm -hmm. so i had already stopped doing that and then fantasy factory started so it was just fantasy factory and young and reckless and then another place where i got really lucky was the mtv like Writers like in their notes would say, cause they would send notes like what's going on with blah, blah, blah. What's this? And they would want us to answer them in episodes. And so one of the notes was what's drama doing? We know he doesn't work for Rob anymore, but is he just hanging out cause he's a friend or like, why don't we build some storyline to show what he's doing? And that was perfectly when I had young and reckless ready to go. So I was able to say, here's what drama's doing. Let's highlight this. And it worked. Um, as far as juggling it, like, you know, it was just, it was just a lot of work. It wasn't like, impossible clearly but um it was just a lot of work and i had someone working with me at all times at the fantasy factory and then i started to build the rest of the team outside of the fantasy factory at a separate office downtown la so that they wouldn't get distracted by all the fantasy factory stuff and um it was just, a you know, a lot of work, but I just enjoyed every single, it was so cool. And it was right. like I'm making a clothing line and it's working and I feel like P. Diddy. And like, this is it. you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> how did, how did Rob feel about you doing this side business on your own? Was he supportive? Was he like, hey,
0: like you're, you're getting in my lane? Yeah. Uh, his attitude, which I love him for this, is very much like, if you want to do it, go do it. Like, I'm not gonna, I don't know how to help you. I'm not gonna like, what do you want me to do? Right. But once I did go do it, he didn't like hate on me at all, you know? And I don't know, I don't know what I would do in his position, but I know that there's a part of me that might be like, Hey, chill out with that stuff. Like I have sponsors and I have all this stuff that I'm trying to do, like chill out. He never once like hated on me or held anything back that I was doing, but he made me, he wouldn't help me like go do it or find the partners or find the manufacturer right, right. or anything like that, which at the time I was a little bitter about, but now and and years ago I'm so thankful for, because it made me, it would be gone by now if he did it for me. Right. 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 Cause I wouldn't have known how to survive after all of that. hundred percent.
1: So. Yeah. And I think what I can gather from your story and a lot of you, you and I have very similar stories. I didn't necessarily get on a reality TV show and yeah. like I was a videographer, but you kind of, took an opportunity and ran with it and I think that's a lot of people they fail to see that so they they can associate you say oh yeah he's big because he his cousin was on this show oh, and he sure. was a part of it and he's the reason but and and the same people say the same thing about me with my buddy Logan it's like oh he was in Logan stuff like that's but I took an opportunity that I had and I made the most of that opportunity in yeah. and, and I think what I can gather from you is you always said yes to whatever yeah. you were never like no I'm not gonna do that
0: for sure and I, and I think I just like I did a good balance of like finding my way in, but never like overasserting. you know, thinking it was my show when it wasn't or thinking it was my, you know what I mean? And what I've learned after doing this for so long is anyone you meet that's had the level of success that you have or that, you know, Young and Reckless has or whatever, like it doesn't happen by accident it never does. I've never met anyone successful with no matter how many excuses people make for them and they've just been a dummy that got lucky. Right. It just doesn't happen. Anything that lasts this long and succeeds on this level, it just it just isn't. You know what I mean? You can't you can't fake that. And I think in the beginning that Definitely people said that a lot, you know, and I understand like right after you have a hit show and then your clothing line blows up, like who's really going to be like, oh, that little kid must be a genius. Yeah. yeah, You know, like, come on. But, uh, (laughs) but I, now that it's been so long afterwards, I don't, I don't really get it anymore, but. That's just what, I mean, of course people are going to like, they want to place a reason why you're successful right? right. because it makes it easier to explain why they haven't made it. You know, like, well, if I grew if I knew Logan Paul, I'd be famous too. Like, well, you you didn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's been others that, you know, have been down the path and they don't take the opportunity and take advantage of it. Yo, guys, I interrupt this podcast to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Green Chef. The cool thing about Green Chef, guys, is they're actually owned by HelloFresh, which I mentioned in the last podcast and I hooked you guys up. Uh, Green Chef is a USDA certified company with a lot of organic options. Anything you need, straight to your front door. They do the grocery shopping for you, Uh, they have different kinds of meal plans included including paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, uh, omnivore, carnivore, whatever it is, you got it. Uh, the cool thing about Green Chef is I hooked my roommate up with the uh, the keto diet because that's what he's on right now. And anytime you guys want to switch up your diet, you can. It's just one step away. Uh, the cool thing about Green Chef, as I mentioned too, is they have chefs that give you step-by-step guides. They give you uh, photos to follow along with so you guys can cook the meals to perfection and – Obviously, the best part about it is that you don't have to go to the grocery store and get it yourself. It is delivered right to your front door, so you just live your life. You come home, and you have that fresh stuff ready to go and cook up. Uh, they got a lot of global cuis- cuisines, a lot of different options. I'm hooking you guys up this time with $50 off your first box uh, of Green Chef. Just go to greenchef.us backslash large. Don't forget that it's greenchef.us backslash large for $50 off. Do not put .com you. S And I got you guys courtesy of living large back to the podcast. So, so how long you been doing Young and Reckless? Is that your bread and butter now? And do you venture out into other things? So you do you, what's, what's the revenue like on that yearly? I saw like 8 million or something, 30 million, whatever. Yeah, Roughly that.
0: (laughs) Uh, But, but um, it's uh, yeah, that's my, that's the majority of my time. Right. And I really like when it comes to what I think about myself and what I want to get better at and grow at it's starting and running a good company like I'm trying to learn how to be better like to my employees and like do team building and like what are just best practices for running a business and doing things the best way that's what I enjoy and that's what I want to say that I was good at when I'm old um so that's 90% of my time. That's uh, a ma- huge majority of my income outside of that. Like, you know, I started podcasting about two years ago and that's been going really well. been trying to create as much content as humanly possible, but I don't know how you guys do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I've had like, you know, investments and I've tried random stuff. Like I tried making a frozen burrito company <laughs> and I tried, you know, doing, I've tried doing, uh, clothing for a million different people and doing merch and we still do a lot of like deals and do collaborations and stuff like that. Um, and then investments, you know, I do investments with friends and the tech companies and stuff like that, but the majority of my time is spent uh, running young and reckless.
1: And how do you how do you manage to do that? Have a successful clothing brand for such a long time? Because I'm not I'm not driving down the street seeing young and reckless billboards. I'm not yeah. seeing commercials. It's yep. kind of a word of mouth, and you guys do it really well. I've even like gotten some some care packages in the mail from yeah, you guys.
0: That's great. Um, how do you manage to do that? I think the biggest thing is like you gotta like, you know, we found a connection with our customer. We have never tried to be the coolest guy in school. We try to make like now we're making denim. We're making full collections, making all this cool stuff. And our goal is to be as affordable and attainable as possible. We don't want to be cheap, but we want to be affordable. I don't I have no interest in being the coolest guy at the fashion show, you know. And I think that because of that, we've built like now it's been nine years and we've kind of built this connection with an audience that just sustains. And I think now the older brother is buying his younger brother, Young and Reckless, because he used to wear it when he used to watch Fantasy Factory and now he wants him to have the new jeans, you know? Mm -hmm. And they didn't have that when he was young. And I think um, another thing is we never, even when we had the opportunity to kind of like blow out and do licensing all over the world and go for the like $100 million payday, we didn't and we kept it, core. We kept our staff as a tight team and we kept everyone on the same page because our goal was always to make a long-term profitable business that we could rely on for a very long time. It Mm -hmm. wasn't, it was the exact opposite of what a lot of people thought. It wasn't a quick money grab. And I think now that's really benefiting us. You know, now, even this many years later, no reality TV, no billboards, none of that stuff. This year will be our biggest year that we've ever had. And that's after a shift from retail Collapsing and figuring out e-com and Facebook targeting and Instagram and all this different stuff. Uh, but it's because of those few select principles that have really kept it sound over this much time, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about the success and then they hear that, but I'm sure along the way there's been some some heavy potholes. Oh, yeah. What are some of your biggest failures? What are some of the lowest moments where you were like, damn,
0: some shit's not going well? Yeah. The biggest one, like I, the way my life has worked out, like I've had a lot of ups and downs, but I had one big period of down that was like by far the worst. And it was probably, it was, uh, just over two years ago and it lasted, you know, six months or, or close to a year. Mm-hmm. And it was really a combination of things. It was the fact that our TV show was, we were done we were done shooting, uh, we were off the air. And that was so good for me because I, like I said, I didn't like the pressure to perform every day and right. the celebrity thing. But, <laughs> but what I missed was I didn't realize like I had a group of people that I was, I had to go see every day. And these people like borderline raised me. Like it was right. our, when, when I got sick, when I was 19, it was our Producer that found me a doctor and checked up on me and made sure I was okay, you know? And it was like all of these people had stuck with us pretty much from Robin Big all through Fantasy Factory. And so I think I just didn't... I underestimated how much that added to my life, having a group of friends and quote-unquote family to to go be with every single day. Then on top of that, uh, retail started having a really tough time. And one of our biggest retailers, Sun, filed for bankruptcy. And that was rough because that meant, you know, a lot of stopped money. That meant a lot of returns. That meant all of this stuff that you had spent so many years building like Macy's and PacSun and all these places now just weren't taking any more orders. They were returning orders. It was just a terrible time for a business. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think as a whole, you know, uh, adding a couple other personal issues, a bad breakup, uh, you know, whatever. It just put me into like, this really bad hole where I wasn't sure why I was doing anything. Like everything seemed to suck and everything yep. seemed pointless. And the whole business of clothing seemed pointless and going back and doing reality TV seemed, po- it just, I don't know, man, it was a really weird, just sort of dead end feeling. And I remember I would just go to the office every day and get bad news for like a year. And it was like, so-and-so returned their order, blah, blah, blah. We have to, fire this person and now this is a friend that you've built a relationship with and traveled with and built a brand with and you have to fire them not because they did anything wrong or I did anything wrong just the world changed and so I was firing friends I was doing all this stuff and I was going home every night and drinking and just walking around my place and just trying to figure out what life meant and like it really put me into a deep dark like sort of depression Um, but it just turned around step by step by, You know what I mean How did you
1: make that turnaround Because I think To be honest And I hear this a lot between I don't know if it's LA Or if it's just this industry Of entertainment Yep I've dealt with the same thing Kind of going through it right now That's why I want to talk to you about really? it Really It's just I'm at that point Where I feel like Similar to You're like Whoa you're just like at a dead end There's like nothing yep. Is fulfilling anymore Yeah. How do you How do you overcome that How do you get out of
0: that Yep So I think that There's a lot And I think Anytime you want to talk Call me on it But um, I think that it's about For me, I had to completely rediscover what meant anything to me. And there was something that drove me to leave Ohio and leave the comfort of a nice, comfy life in Ohio and come to L.A. And I found success and that was great. but. But that phase had ended and now it's time to figure out what's next. And you have the only way to do it is to dig deep back into who you are and what is driving you and push towards that, even if it means rebuilding and redesigning and going in a slightly different path, you know. And for me, it was also health. And it was like, I don't want to sound like the, the hippie guy here, but like health and mindset and meditation and all of these like practices that I always looked at as kind of whatever because I was a skater dude from Ohio Mm -hmm. are so important to just balancing your sanity and it's like I wasn't healthy I was eating like crap I wasn't doing any sort of physical activity I was pounding a bottle of wine every night and taking Xanax to go to sleep and like I was it was a mess when you really looked at it but at the time it didn't feel like that and it started with you know going for a run and I hate running I still hate (laughs) running today and it was miserable and running a mile was the hardest thing in the world and went for a run. Then that led to a longer run. Then that led to going with my friend to a soul cycle class. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of neat, even though it's weird. And then it led to, you know, getting a trainer and then it led to meditation and then it led to reading the right books. And then it led to podcasting. And I started having really good conversations with other people who had been through similar things. And I took their recommendations. If they recommended a book or a meditation or whatever, I tried it. And I learned that like, man, it's easy to come out here as a young scrappy Ohioan and have some wins and feel like you know it all and you got it all figured out. But it won't last you. You'll hit a wall and you have to refine the tools that are in your toolbox and you have to plan your morning schedule better and what time you go to bed. And like, I hate to say it. I hate to be that guy, but it's all so important. And you notice that when your personal life and your exercise and your health start clicking, your ideas start clicking too and your mind starts clicking and you start saying, well, hey, I could do this, you know, I could do this next thing or that next thing. And I'll tell you, man, guys like me and you, we just want something to focus on and do good at and achieve, right? That's what we want. Mm-hmm. It's just about finding what that next thing is, diving into it, attacking it and making progress. And before you know it, you just start feeling that feeling again. And it's just like, oh, man, I'm. you know what I mean? Right. Right. And it's a slow build and there's not one magic solution. But growing up in Ohio, not going to college, I was not equipped with the proper tools to have a lifetime in L.A. or entrepreneurship or, you know, there's just challenges. That, right, right. You know, and, that and you had to figure out kind of on your own. I did. And I've
1: noticed, honestly, I've, I've noticed just by watching YouTube and whatnot, 2018 has been a rough year for like a lot of YouTubers, mm-hmm. a lot of people breaking up, a lot of people taking breaks from YouTube because there is that shift right now. Vlogging was so hot for like a year and a half. Yep. Now it's like, oh, no one's really daily vlogging anymore. So people are like, you know, views are going down and that messes with you. How did you, during that time, how did you say, all right, I'm going to keep doing... Were you ever like, damn, like, this isn't for me, young and reckless. I'm just going to give up and maybe do something else. So I
0: definitely felt that way. Um, In the realest way, I felt that way. But I knew, like, I built something that at the end of the day, I'm proud of, and I built it for a reason, right? Like, what is that reason? What is that? You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, for me, like the core, just using young and reckless as an example, it wasn't a money grab. It wasn't MTV. It wasn't even cool design t-shirts. It was to try to teach people and inspire people to go do the same thing. And so that's what I focus on and that's why I started podcasting and that's why I started, you know what I mean? And that started to give me some hunger. And now when people start coming up to you, instead of saying, hey, we love that episode of the show where you jumped off that thing and they're saying, hey, episode 60 of your podcast changed my life. You're like, oh crap, this is something. So now you want to keep getting better so that you can tell them what better even looks like and you can try this new thing and try that new thing. And I think I just had to dig into what is the core of what makes you go. Because it's not YouTube, it's not views, it's not likes. Those are all after effects of doing a good job. Mm -hmm. But you were started by something. And so if you can tap into whatever that something is, the the medium might change, the platform might change, the whatever, but the internal reason for doing what you're doing never changes. And also the desire to just learn and get better and win never goes away it's just when you feel like you stop winning you build up you just saying if you build a huge following and a life off of youtube and naturally your life starts to revolve around vlogging because why wouldn't it right Mm -hmm. you're making all this money you're the center of the universe it's incredible and then something just changes out of your control where the views start going down or the whatever it's easy to think shit my whole thing was youtube and now my whole thing is crumbling my idea you lose some of your identity with that no absolutely yeah and i think that it's about going back and saying no it wasn't followers it wasn't likes it wasn't any of that stuff it was this and building on that and when you do that the views and everything's going to come and and they're going to be much more quality anyway like i'd much rather have a hundred thousand listeners on my podcast than five million on an mtv show because a podcast i'm saying i'm giving you me like 100%. Mm-hmm. And if you like that, you like me and what I stand for. MTV show was great. We had a lot of fun. But if you come up to me on the street and say, I love that episode. It's like, yeah, I'm glad I made you laugh. But like, yeah, I don't yeah. really. It's not. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's well, not No, really I feel me. you. So
1: how do you feel about like, because a lot of people say this, how can you be unhappy? You, you get millions of followers, tons of people like you make so much money. Yeah. What? Well, what do you have to say about like money and happiness? Yeah. I, I That's something I've realized. Like the more money I get, the more shit I want. Yeah. And then I get that shit and then I'm like, damn, I want something more. Yeah. Like I feel like the more successful I've gotten,
0: the less happy I've gotten because I always want more. Yeah, of course. Um, so this is a hard conversation to have for anyone that's financially struggling and I understand that and I don't have a good answer to say hey guys this is why it's not stupid of us to be having this conversation because it's going to sound stupid right right right. but you've just it's like how many times do you need to hear it before you think that maybe there's something there and it is that money and happiness are pretty much completely two separate things and I think that sure you can use money to fund happiness but that's in ways like doing nicer things for your family and doing genuinely great things for your friends. And and let's be honest, myself included, a lot of people when they first start making money, don't spend it on that. Mm -hmm. You know, you spend it on watches and cars and trips and great things. Um, It is true that the more you get money the more you you know more money more problems I was trying to avoid saying that (laughs) but because now all of a sudden you have all this you also have all this added pressure and now it's on you to keep performing and now you're realizing well if I don't make people happy they don't keep buying my thing or they don't keep watching my videos and now you have all this added pressure to sustain and it's all based on you and your videos and you know what I mean? Like that's a lot of pressure. And I think the more you keep getting all the things that you thought you ever wanted and you keep feeling not that happy when you go to bed at night. Now that's scary because you're like, I have everything I ever wanted. You know what I mean? Right. And I just think that unfortunately for whatever reason, especially in American culture, I'm not hating on America, but we tie money and happiness very closely together. Mm-hmm. And I think like you said, you can see in the news and a lot this year, even Mac Miller and you know um, uh, uh, all these different Lil people. Peep, yeah. yeah, Lil Peep and I was trying to think of the uh, Kate Spade. Prince. You know, yeah, like you see all these people that had their wildest dreams come true and were terribly, terribly unhappy. And that has to make you start poking around and finding out what it means, you know? Absolutely. But I've just learned like, man, you got to like as much as you can. Money's fun and cars are fun and all that stuff is really fun, but it is not the core of what makes the thing better. And if you start to get money, like genuinely spend it, don't just buy your mom a car, you know, take your mom on a trip to her favorite place that she's always wanted to go and, let her ride a horse and whatever the hell, you know what I mean? Like do the whole thing and make a memory that you were in it. Now you get to go to bed at night, not saying I bought that car, but you say I'm an incredible son. And that's what you're now saying to yourself subconsciously. And you feel good about yourself. Right. Right. You know,
1: uh, for, for people that are trying to maybe, Hey, move out to Los Angeles, pursue a career in this field. Would you ever trade any of your ups and downs, your success for just a stability of a nine to five job, making a a salary that you guarantee going to make this every year, knowing
0: that? No chance. No chance. No chance. Because I feel like through all the ups and downs, I can genuinely say other than the fact that maybe I'm a little antisocial sometimes (laughs) I've pushed myself, you know, and like, Like, I can honestly say I've pushed to my max. I've done more than I ever thought I could. I've achieved more than I ever thought I could. I've reached people in a way that I never thought I could. And that is a feeling I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, my biggest fear is one day being on my deathbed and saying, "Ah, I could have done more. There's no reason I didn't Mm -hmm. other than like fear, anxiety. I didn't trust myself, whatever. I could have done more. I don't want that feeling. I would rather crash and burn in LA and one day move back to Ohio than to always wonder what if, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: What do you think is the biggest advice you would give looking back on your journey to people that the 18 year old from Ohio that's, that wants to go against you know, go right when everybody goes left. Yeah. When they want to come out here, and there's there's a lot of doubt. There's like there's no stability. It's a big, big risk. Yeah. What's some advice you would give someone like that to pursue
0: what they really want to do? Yeah, and I want to give the most sound <clears throat> advice I can on this one, and that is to, a, do it, but don't just do it, and disregard everything, right? So there has to be this fine line between if you see the vision, if you believe in it, then do it. You're the only one that's ever going to see the vision if it's something special, right? At the same time, pay attention to advice, pay attention to input, read about what other people have done. If you want to be a YouTuber, really study what YouTubers have done. Offer to work for a YouTuber for free. If you want to be in the clothing business, do the same thing. Like put the work in. There's a difference between ignoring the haters and ignoring an education. And ignoring work and ignoring what it takes to really make something happen. And I think a lot of people like the message of like, forget everyone, I'm doing what I want, but they don't include listening to what they actually need to do. Right, right. right. And so I think if you can play that line, you believe in something and you're willing to die for it and work your butt off for it and educate yourself on it and work harder than anyone for it. Absolutely do it, because what's not going to happen is in small town, Ohio or Nebraska or wherever anyone is they're not going to rally around you and say, yeah, move to LA. You're going to be great. Right. No, you know, of they're going to say, they're I don't gonna... know, man. Do you yeah. know how much rent is out there? Yeah. <laughs> I heard there's earthquakes every yep. day.
1: Yep. You yep. know, a hundred percent. Um, damn, I had a question. I thought in my head, Oh, would you, would you, you, you mentioned education
0: and work. Yep. Would you, if you had to do it all over again, would you go to college? No chance. Why not? Because I think that college is only like dramatically, uh, over exaggerate the importance of it, and I think that if you want to be a doctor or a, you know a, a engineer or something that you have to go to college for, absolutely go to college asap. Even if you want to be a photographer, go to some sort of special training. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a big fan of educating yourself, but I think that for me, I didn't want to do anything but skateboard and meet people and go for it. Mm-hmm. And if you have any of that mentality where you're not sure what you want to do or you're just kind of hungry to figure it out, don't go to college. You're just going to stack up debt. Right, right. I just paid mine off. There you go. (laughs) And you're like a really successful dude that like came out and did a really good job pretty quickly. And you just now paid off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think that like it's ridiculous to get buried under that debt. If you want to bury some debt, go travel and like learn what other people are like. And the world is like that'll open your brain. Go work for people for free. Go do anything to get information that might lead you on the path that you want to get on. Don't just go to college hoping that that's going to figure it out for you. Right. Because it won't. I think
1: the only thing that really benefited me in college was I was really, really into extracurriculars with like, I did broadcast journalism. I I did a podcast in college. Yeah, I think think it made me comfortable in front of the camera. It made me, but that's not necessarily something I needed to go to college for. I could have done it on my own, but it was, it was to find people that were in the same lane as me and they wanted to do the same kind of thing and surround yourself with people that, They still have that, that mentality. And I used to always say this back in college to like everyone. I was like, why not think that you can be the next person? Mm -hmm. Like, just don't be, don't be complacent and be like, yeah, like it's going to be cool. Like I'll get a job here. Like things will be great. I'll have that. I'll have a wife. I'll go home, watch Netflix every night. Like always think that you can be the best and you will be the best. And I think mentality is very, very important. Yeah. Um, but another thing that I thought college taught me very well was responsibility Mm -hmm. just because I was living on my own. Mm -hmm. I don't think if I went to college and commuted, I would be the same as I am now. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to go to college. If you do go to college, if you can go to college, um, to, to not commute, but to live on campus, just to teach yourself, to do your own laundry, to teach Mm -hmm. yourself, to do the dishes. I think that just makes you more mature quicker. Yep. But I'm sure you had a similar situation where you moved out here to L.A. by yourself. Yeah. It's like you had to grow up quick. You had yeah. no choice. It's not like mommy and daddy aren't there to like do your laundry yeah. and, and feed you. It's like, all right, like I got to take responsibility and take this action on. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it was intense. And I think that I guess too, like what I'm getting at, because I don't want to down college too much, right. but like is I what you're kind of getting at is the core of the value of college for you was learning how to be independent, learning how to be accountable and finding like-minded people. And all that I'm saying is all of those, you didn't mention at all, all of those hours in the classroom and Mm -hmm. all the stuff you were actually paying for. And so if you're someone that wants a way around, if you want to hack around it, move to a new city, make yourself accountable, make yourself have to do your own laundry and show up to a place and intern somewhere. And if you're going to spend the money anyway, spend the money, like I said, interning or, or, um, go look up other people that are filming and making videos or whatever it is that you like to do and find those people. Cause they're out there and it's so much easier now with the internet to connect than ever before. Um, I just think you can really get a head start and not, you know what I mean? That debt is the part that really gets me. Absolutely. And it's the part that I think when a lot of people graduate college, they're like, okay, I've done it. So now where's all the opportunities? And they're still not there. And it's still on you to go figure it out, you know? Mm -hmm. So if it's for you, absolutely. For me, it was never for me. And I was tapped out of like the school model. I was ready to just go. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it.
1: Right. What do you think's next? You saw, you've saw. you seen the shifts happen. You've seen the reality TV go into kind of the social media right now. Yeah. What do you think the the next big thing is if you were to guess?
0: Well, I think that it's about, if I were to guess, it's about who can build their own almost media company the best, right? So everyone now is their own MTV or Discovery mm-hmm. Channel or what those used to be, right? And I don't think, just coming up today saying, I'm just gonna vlog, will cut it. Nah. You yeah. know? And I and I also don't think you can get away with vlogging for the sake of vlogging. Like I think there was a large group of people that made it and more power to them because they broke down the doors, but that were just kind of vlogging for the sake of vlogging or like daily talking to their laptops or whatever. I think that's gonna be insanely hard to break into now. Of I think course. you have to have a reason for what you do, what you stand for, what the through line is in everything that you do, you should dabble in podcasting, vlogging, make sure your Instagram's good. You are a brand. And as powerful as that brand is, it will allow you to plug in and sell products that are in line with what that brand is, right? So if you stand for being young and reckless, make a brand called young and reckless and plug it in. If you stand for being really pretty and Kylie Jenner and your lips, you can build a billion dollar, you know what I'm saying? Off your darn lips. Like, uh, but that is the reality. It has to be authentic and it has to be multi-platform branding that stands for something. I think there's a lot of young people right now that are saying, I want to be a YouTuber when I grow up and that's not enough. And they're heading in a they're heading down a dead end. Oh,
1: of course. Yeah. You know, and you I can't just be that. Like I'm can't. not just a YouTuber. Like, yeah. Like you said, I have the podcast. I have YouTube. I have Instagram. I have Facebook. I do merch. I have music. Like yeah. I'm a business. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. And you just I, had
0: to learn that and evolve that. And so what I'm saying is like, You came up in a time when YouTube and all these apps and everything were exploding and you guys all came up in this thing and you were like you're it. Like you are when all those apps were exploding, you guys were all exploding. Yeah. And now you have all all the ones that have made it have branched out and created other things. And so what that means is the next generation of people are going to have to start with the same thing that you have now, like they're going to have to start with, like I said, a podcast, a this, a that, or whatever. Because just trying to re- replicate what you guys did will no longer work. Mm-hmm. I someone, if someone came up to me today and said, "Hey, I'm going to be on a hit reality show and launch a clothing brand off of it," I'd be like, "Good luck," because yeah, nobody's absolutely. watching reality shows, right? Yeah. So by the time you realize it's what you want to do, it's already too late. You have to do what's next.
1: Right. You know? No. And I think too, it, it's important. I've actually learned a lot from this podcast and I think guys, it's cool. Cause you're the first guest I've had on that. I don't know. We've never met before yeah, this. So I think honestly, it was cool to, to, to speak with you like a stranger in a way and yeah. get advice from someone that's done something. And I think guys like, obviously this is what I try to bring you in the podcast is, you know, a voice. So you guys can have like, listen to a conversation with a stranger that you've never met that's done stuff. But this was really good for me. And I think Thank you, man. Me just, too. just mentally too. Cause like I, I, it's, it's, it's not good to know that you've struggled, Yeah. but it's,
0: well, yes, it's, it it's, it's yeah. yeah. good.
1: <laughs> it's good to know that you have had similar things happen in your life that I experience, and and it's good to learn from you, yep. you know, and,
0: yep. and see that, you know there is more to more to come, and there's yeah. a way to get out of this this rut that you're in for sure. And two things: number one, I'll give you my number when I leave here. Call me anytime because there's a lot of a lot of details and that stuff to like what I went through that I think you could probably relate to a lot. The other thing is I just want to encourage you because this literally, not to be, no pun intended, dramatic, <laughs> changed the trajectory tra- trajectory of my life. Find people that you think. Are on to something Whether it's like Someone who wrote a cool book Or uh, an, uh, Anyone from an influencer An athlete or whatever That you f- see something That you think is interesting And have them on the show It doesn't matter how I don't care how You don't seem like a Socially awkward dude But like No matter how uncomfortable You feel right, No matter right. whatever Have the conversation Because I'm telling you man I have left some of my podcasts Like Changed Mm -hmm. Just because you sit and you make eye contact and you talk to a human being who's been through some crazy stuff and found a way out of it. And like it's not magic. Like there are recipes to getting better and finding your Mm -hmm. thing and getting stronger. And it has legitimately changed my life. So I definitely as many strangers as you can have on this thing. Do it. Awesome. Yeah, you'll love it. Your podcast is what?
1: Long story long?
0: Uh, Short story long.
1: Short story long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You guys can check out his podcast as well. Thank you, man, for being on the, the show Thank this you, week. Um, you guys can check out his socials Chris Drama, P-faff, <laughs> FAF, <laughs> the Ohio native, guys. Thank you all for watching. As I mentioned, you can check it out on Castbox at 6 a.m. every Wednesday um, and then in video form on my YouTube channel. That's this week's episode of Living Large. Take it easy, guys. Thank you for watching this Castbox original with Mark Doner. It's Living Large. Large, closing off.
2: Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.